Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. On this podcast, we bring in different guests from across the diocese and the global Anglican Church to discuss topics that matter to you, your ministry, and life today. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, And today it is my great pleasure to welcome a fellow pilgrim on the Christian journey, Archbishop Foley Beach. Welcome to you, Archbishop. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're mighty brave. (laughs) Archbishop Foley is a graduate of Georgia State University, the University of the South and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He began his ministry by serving teenagers through young life. Prior to serving as Archbishop and Bishop, he planted and led Holy Cross Anglican Church in Loganville, Georgia. The scripture verse that has most guided his ministry is Proverbs chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. He and his wife, Alison, are lifelong Georgians and have two adult children. Archbishop Foley, it's going to be a privilege to many people to have you on the podcast today to to listen to you. Most people, of course, know you as Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America, but tell us a little about your faith journey. How did you come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I'll give you the simple version uh, without getting into my whole family background. But when I uh, went to live with my father at age 12, um, after my mother was arrested, uh, he and his um, wife were involved in a church. And so uh, we began to attend there and uh, eventually got involved in the youth group. The youth group went off to camp. Uh, and in the, the summer camp at uh, in the North Georgia mountains, we were around the campfire one night and the assistant pastor began to talk about God and Jesus and why Jesus came to earth and uh, the consequences of sin and why he died on the cross. And I realized at that point that I needed to ask Jesus in my life. I wanted forgiveness of my sins. I didn't want to go to hell. Uh, that was also kind of a theme of the night. And um, and at that point, I asked, you know, it was a real thing to me. And uh, I was age 12. Uh, at that point, um, I was just entering high school. Uh, we started high school the next year as age 13. We, back then, we started high school in eighth grade. And I went through high school, and uh, my faith uh, was in church most Sundays, but my faith really didn't grow. And uh, toward the last part of my high school career, I got involved in a ministry called Young Life. And um, through the ministry of Young Life and then also visiting another pastor, I remember there's a unique point in my time, my 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 time in high school, or I remembered um, that, yes, I had asked Jesus into my life, but I was being challenged that he wasn't Lord of my life, that he wasn't the boss, the master, the one in charge, uh, one calling the shots. I was. I was still the center of my universe. God was not. And I remember getting 
on my knees uh, by my bed one night and I just said something like this, Jesus, uh, I, I really want to take you at your word and, and I, I thank you for forgiving me my sins and being my savior, but I want to submit to you as my Lord. I want you to be the Lord. And I didn't have fireworks go off at that point or uh, anything special, except I had this peace that, that entered my life. I now know what that is. It's called the peace that passes all understanding. And after that, I would begin to read the Bible or when I'd read the Bible, it would speak to me. It would make sense. I feel like felt like the Lord was teaching me things all the time. Uh, when I would pray, I didn't feel like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling or that God was somewhere far off, but that he was near me. And I began to have this joy in my life that I didn't have. And so um, that's a quick synopsis, um, Bishop Julian. I... Um, from that point, it's been a day-by-day -day, uh, faith journey, and uh, eventually uh, felt led to go into ministry. I got involved in youth ministry, then eventually felt called into the to church and became a priest, deacon, priest, and then I uh, shockingly became a bishop, and now I'm the archbishop. So uh, that's a quick overview of my my call to Christ. What what a journey! It reminds me of. Um... Whitewater rafting back in New Zealand. Um, uh, some thrills, some bumps, no doubt, along the way. I love the way, Archbishop, from a 12-year-old, you talk about God and Jesus and why he died on the cross. You, you said you were age 12, yes. um, submitting to the Lord, um, his peace coming into your heart, reading the Bible, uh, learning how to pray uh, and engaging with God. These are some of the great, great gifts to us as Christians, aren't they? And And they're some of the great gifts of, of our Anglican Church, which has been shaped by people who at, at the time of the English Reformation gave their lives for the faith you've talked about. Um, we, we call it the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Some reports suggest that over 300 people were recognized as burned in England alone over a five-year period just for the Reformed Christian faith. Well, I think one of the things that um, people tend to forget is why these people were so adamant. They had discovered the scriptures and the power of the word of God. And the, once the scriptures became uh, available in, in everybody's language, and also you could have your own copy because the printing press was invented, uh, people began to understand what the word of God taught, not just what tradition taught or what some bishop happened to, to flout off his opinion was. And they were willing to risk their life on the teaching of the scripture, that it was salvation through faith in Christ alone, which was really kind of the root of it all. But when you look back, especially the English reformers, the, the, the impact they had on the, the, the word of God, and, and especially the Bible we now have in, in our translations and our ability to have access to it, it was very strong. And uh, it was so important they were willing to give their lives for it. Yes, and that's, that's as you say, the faith that we have received, faith that the martyrs down to this present age and, and, and some of our Anglican churches around the world uh, continue to give their life um, for. Um, in 2009, the, the Anglican Church in North America was birthed to uphold this same historic faith entrusted to us by God. Uh, you and I were both present uh, at the founding of the Anglican Church in North America. Tell us 
about the ACNA? What's its what's its DNA? What makes it tick? Why does it exist? What what's its focus? What's it all about? Well, that's a loaded question. I, I, we began and, and still hold to that uh, the teaching of the Scripture um, is is so important. And we we were in a church. Many of us were in churches. Um, and in a culture which has basically departed from the teaching of Holy Scripture, um, the authority of the Word of God, the person of Jesus. Is, is Jesus uh, just a way to the Father, or is he the way to the Father? And, and I guess a way to summarize um, who we are in our DNA, it might be to say that uh, we have fully embraced what's been known as three, the three streams of, of Christianity, that there is an Anglo-Catholic stream. That is, they tend to emphasize the historic church, uh, the orders of the church, uh, the liturgies of the church. Uh, then you have the evangelical stream, which emphasizes the Word of God coming to Jesus by faith and the, the teaching, the, the clear principles of the Word of God. And then there's the, the charismatic stream, or what would be the Spirit-filled uh, stream, which emphasizes uh the power of the Holy Spirit in one's life and in one's ministry, the exercise of the spiritual gifts, walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And so we as the Anglican Church in, in North America embrace all of those. Now, granted, some people in their core, they tend to be one or the other, and some people tend to emphasize one or the other. But it's been very fascinating, especially among our bishops, to see how <laughs> we are such a, a hodgepodge of those three streams um, everybody has parts of it in them, and it's 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 been beautiful to watch. and And the church is so alive when that's the case. Our our motto as a church, our our mission as a church, is to reach North America with the transforming love of Jesus Christ. And that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit by teaching His Word, teaching what the Scripture has to say about Jesus, and doing it in a way that invites people into fellowship into the church. So I. I I don't know if I've summarized it clearly enough for you, but um, it's an exciting movement to be a part of. It is an exciting movement to be part of, and, and we're seeing incredible things happen, aren't we? And and God has been and is being so very gracious to us. Churches are being planted. There are testimonies of people coming to faith. There are there are stories of reconciliation amongst people. Uh, all good gospel work with the hungry being fed in so many places and chaplains working uh, in the military and in civilian chaplaincy uh, and 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 people being ordained to serve uh, in the in the ministry of the church and and lay people engaging in their gifts it's it's an incredible thing um, uh, to be part of um, one, one of the things we've done in the Anglican Church in North America is is provide a basis for people or or foundation for people to to learn and be catechized in their faith. Um, And the catechism of the Anglican Church in North America, interestingly, begins with the gospel, the gospel that Archbishop Foley spoke of as a 12-year-old, that that there was God uh, who, who loves us and Jesus who died for us on a cross. And, and, and the Catechism of the Anglican Church in North America says, God created the world and made us to be in loving relationship with him. Though he created good human nature, became fatally flawed, and we are now all out of step with God. In Bible language, says our Catechism, we are sinners, guilty before God and separated from him. Archbishop, 
um, uh, I mean, I know that you believe that's still a message that's important today, but but why is that message that that we are sinners? Because that's not popular to tell someone they're a sinner, guilty before God, separated from him. Why is that important? And how's that message being shared across the Anglican Church in North America? It's not a popular message, but it's one we all need to hear it until we each come to a realization and can name name it that we're sinners. Um, it, 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 it's a stumbling block in our life. Um, and then once we realize, we, you know, that none of us can do it, we're all we've all fallen short. And then the in- incredible, extreme love of God that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins so that even though we could not do it ourselves, his blood covers us so that we might have this right, incredible relationship with God. Um, that is so important, but people don't want to hear it. Um, the gospel does offend, but um, I think, you know, it's okay for the gospel to offend because I don't know about what you, when something offends you, it bugs you and it's, it gets in you. And, and once it, you get stirred up inside, then that allows the Holy Spirit to begin his work. So I think it's actually a good thing sometimes when, when the gospel offends. Um, Julian, what was, oh, how's the, the ACNA? I think, um, well, first of all, let me say this. Our catechism begins with the gospel. It's the first catechism that actually assumes that the culture is coming from a culture that's a non-Christian culture. All the other catechisms assume the culture is full of Christians. Ours is beginning, how do you come to, to saving faith in Christ? How do you come to know God? How do you develop this personal relationship? It begins there, and the rest of the catechism is about because you have this relationship with God, here's what the Word of God says about all these different aspects of life and, and the church, and then specifically our church. So with that in mind, the ACNA, through everything that we are trying to do, uh, whether it's uh, the provincial initiatives or trying to empower clergy um, on the local level and congregations on the local level, it's to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. People are starving to hear that they are loved by God. They're starving to know how they can have this relationship with God. And we've got to do it in a way that uh, communicates that in a way that they can hear that. Um, so the other piece is, is obviously, you know, here we are on a podcast. We're using the Internet and, and, and median, uh, the median of technology. And there's all kind of ways that our people now are reaching out through technology to speak the word of God and to love people through this, this amazing thing called the internet. What an incredible resource God has given. I mean, it's, it's often used for awkward and difficult and unholy things, but it's also used the internet, isn't it, for the incredible medium of sharing the gospel, uh, people coming to faith in dis- different religious contexts, because through radio broadcasts and podcasts and television, uh, the gospel's being proclaimed, and, and, and it's, it's so exciting. Archbishop, I, I, I want us to think about the church for a moment. Hey, hey, and when uh, I Bishop, to ch- yes, Bishop Julian, let me interrupt you one second. Yeah, all that is true, and let yeah. me go from from talking to preaching for a minute to any of the clergy that are here listening to this. When you post something on the internet, whether it's on a Facebook page, you're writing a comment. Please remember that you are bearing witness to Jesus Christ and to God. And I have to confess to you, some of the comments that I read from some of our clergy are unholy 
They're ungodly. They're, they're actually sinful. And so I want to encourage the clergy here to, before you hit that, that uh, return button, that you step back and you ask, is this honoring God? Or is this just me emoting something that I'm feeling at the moment? So anyways, I'm, okay, I'm through preaching. Back to your interview, sir. Well, let me respond to it, Archbishop, because uh, I'm recalling a situation when I was a priest in the Anglican Church in New Zealand dealing with a very difficult pastoral situation. Uh, I had written a letter or an email to someone, and I sent it to uh, one of my lay leader advisors uh, in the church, and he said to me, Julian, if you press the send button and send that, I will pray that it gets corrupted and lost in cyberspace because it shouldn't be sent. And it was a real, real warning to me to say, be careful what we say, because once it's out there, it's out there. <laughs> and exactly. there's no taking it back. Well, exactly. let's think about the church, Archbishop. Uh, and w- when I refer to the church, I- I'm thinking about the local congregation in a local context. Um, I, w- I want you to help us understand why the local church is important. And and what would you say to anyone who's listening who has determined that they do not need the church or because the church has hurt them, that they're better off of a privatized Christianity, me and God in God's garden? Mm. Well, we can go back to the garden. And when God created man and woman, what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. And we are built for community, and and granted, all of us have our different um, ability to tolerate community and and, and be a part of community, but that is the way we're made. Uh, And the scriptures are so clear about the early church, how they gathered, how they met, how they inspired each other, how they shared with each other, uh, and how they motivated each other to spur them on uh, to become more like God. And, And if you think you can do that by yourself, you're absolutely wrong. I remember an analogy someone shared years ago about a charcoal fire that you would uh, you'd cook in your grill. You know, all the little coals in your that you would uh, light up to cook something on the grill. Mm. And while those coals are together, they stay hot. But if you pull one of those coals out and just set it by itself, in a matter of moments, it goes cold. And that is so true. What happens to us uh, in in our faith and in the church? We're meant to build each other up and hurt each other. Now, granted. So many people are dechurched today because somebody wounded them, hurt them, somebody they trusted um, said something mean at church. And um, I mean, I remember my dad said, if this is what Christians are about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I think at this point, you need to find a, a place. If that's you describing your situation, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, we are all human. Every every institution is going to be messed up some degree because we're sinners and, and we're, we're not in glory yet. But to find a place where you can be nurtured in your faith um, and, and grow, um, and the, the church is desi- supposed to be about that. And if your church isn't doing that, then find a church uh, that builds you up in your faith, teaches the Bible, um, and seeks to empower you to serve God in, in your community. Did I answer what you were asking? Sounds pretty good to me. Uh, I, the more and more I'm listening to you, Archbishop, the more and more I'm I'm hearing the gospel that that experience you had as the twelve year old. God, Jesus, why He died, um, submitting to the Lord, knowing His peace, reading the Bible, um, praying, fellowship with other Christians. Uh, what a, what a gift uh, those things are. Uh, Archbishop, um, there's been some interesting discussion in recent weeks about. Christian identity. Uh, 
Um, some say it's okay to add adjectives to describe our identity in Christ. Uh, in fact, um, uh, our own Anglican Church in North America bishops recently released a statement that says, in part, humanity's essential identity is found in communion with God. I, I just think that's such a beautiful phrase. Mm. Um, in fact, God's word's very clear to us. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Christ within me. It's, 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 again, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's no longer about me. It's, it is, in fact, about him. And this is what the Bible says to us when we relate to the Bible. We, we give the Bible precedent to determine and interpret the details of our lives, not the other way around. So if our experience seems to contradict the Bible, we must always give the Bible interpretive authority in our lives. Surely, for me anyway, Archbishop, that's, that's what it means to be a, a Bible-believing follower of Jesus. Yes. Um, I, I, I get the strong impression, Archbishop, from knowing you as a Christian brother uh, and serving with you as a leader in the church, that you want people to know and identify with Jesus. We've already heard that in your, in your story. Uh, you want them to know the transformation that you yourself receive from Christ, and you want them to know and believe and receive him. So is there a danger for Christians if we describe and identify our faith and make the gospel about us rather than Christ? Help us understand this. I think all throughout church history, Christians have tried to do that, and it's always ended up in a dead end. Um, I, I think if you were to take our bishop's statement and summarize it in a, just a simple a simple, a very simple way. It's, the, it's simply this, that, that when we come to faith in Christ, we get a new identity. Our identity isn't now in Christ. It's not in our sexuality. It's not in our race. It's not in our class. It's not in our experiences. And that is the lens, the, the glasses, so to speak, that we should be looking at our Christian life as our, uh, and our whole life through is, the, is our identity in Christ. A fascinating Bible study, and I challenge anybody listening to this to do this, would be go through the epistles and pull your pen out and underline or circle everywhere it says, has this phrase, in him or in Christ or in Jesus Christ. And then step back and look at what it says, what the scriptures say to us about who we are in Christ. God has made us and given us this incredible ability through the power of his spirit to live and serve him and to live in this world and to view it through the lens of his perspective, of his kingdom, to live in his ways. If I live my life, if, and, and this, is, this is the danger I think that you're speaking of, if I view my life through the lens or through the, through the eyeglasses of my temptations, whatever they are, or even my experiences, it's going to lead me up away from where God wants me. Um, I uh, am presupposed, uh, I haven't told this publicly too much, I'm presupposed uh, genetically uh, to be an alcoholic. Um, I have it all through my family. I could just list all my, my relatives. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I discovered early on that I have the same issue. And so I don't drink uh, because when I drink, 
um, I can't, um, I can't hold it. It leads to trouble and it leads to an ungodly lifestyle. So I've chosen early on in my life, I've chosen, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to say no to it uh, so that I can live a holy life. And I don't view my life. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm an alcoholic Christian or I am, um, or I'm, I'm a Christian who I don't even view it as I'm a Christian who has a temptation for alcoholism um, or alcohol to, to be an alcoholic. Um, I view it. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and he has made me his child. I'm his child now. Yes, I have temptations. Yes, I face temptations. Yes, I have to encounter things all the time. But but the lens I look through is through what he has done for me in Jesus. Um, am, am I making any kind of sense? Bishop Julian. That's just so, so beautiful. And Archbishop, we're, we're, we're so grateful for you sharing that personal part of your life with us. Um, uh, uh, many of us could, could share similar things. Um, and, and, and what it helps us do as, as I listen to you uh, is, is, again, remind us that identity is to be found in Christ. In fact, that passage I read earlier, I've just opened it in the Bible as I was listening to you speak uh, from Galatians chapter 2. Uh, and and St. Paul says there in that passage where he says um, uh, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, he goes on to say, and the life I now live, I live, live by, by faith, faith in the Son of God. And isn't that beautiful? Yeah. God takes our life, we commit it to him, and we journey by faith in the Son of God, in this flesh which we have, this body, uh, and God continues his wonderful work of, of transformation um, within us. Again, thank you so much for sharing um, for sharing that with us. Well, let's unpack that verse just a little more. Mm. I have been crucified. Well, who's the I? I mean, I haven't gotten on a cross. The I is, is self. It's, mm. it's, the, it's this thing I'm supposedly repented of, of living for me, myself, and I. I have been crucified. And it's no longer I who lives within me, but Christ who lives within me. And that's the, 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 the transformation that's supposed to constantly take place. And uh, it, it has happened. And then it's something we constantly have to deal with every day as new challenges face us, where we will live in Christ through faith and, and the one who, and the Son of God. So, so that self-peace has to stay on the cross. And I don't know about you, Bishop Julian, but my often my issue is I pull self back off the cross. <laughs> I forget that it's, it's crucified. Uh, not my identity in the sense of who I am as a person, but my selfish desires, living for me, myself, and I, and all that that, and sin, um, all that that leads to. Does that make any it's sense? It does. And it's, again, a beautiful Christian testimony. You, you um uh, you do, in fact, know me. You know me pretty well. And you know, like yourself, the challenge for all of us is, isn't it, that the old person riseth up within us. Yeah. And and sometimes we look back and we say, I just want to take that old guy back, that old person that I was. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, no, you're no longer that person. Uh, you've been transformed and it. It's beautiful. Let's, let's talk about the church some more. And then I want to quickly ask you about our nation. Um, the Anglican Church in North America is part of a global Anglican network called GAFCON. Um, uh, you serve as the chair of the GAFCON Primates Council. Tell us about GAFCON. Tell us what GAFCON is, if you would. It's such a strange word, uh, but, but it's so important. Tell us why it's important and what is its influence on the Anglican Church? Oh, sure. Uh, GAFCON stands for the Global Anglican 
Future Conference. And that is from a conference held back in 2008 in Jerusalem when uh, leaders from around the Anglican world gathered uh, because uh, parts of it, especially the Western church, uh, has gone on, had gone off the rails, uh, departing from the, the clear moral teaching of the Bible, and, um, and, and met in conference. And as we met in conference, it was obvious that GAFCON needed to continue. And so, for no better word, they decided to uh, keep the title, Global Anglican Future Conference. It's called GAFCON for, sh- for short. Uh, what this has evolved into is a movement which is seeking to proclaim Christ to the nations um, and proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations uh, because um, it's uh, there's many Jesuses being taught out there. There's a biblical Jesus, and that is the Jesus that we talk about. Um, also, to, to help churches uh, remain aligned to the teaching of the scripture, um, and then and places where the Anglican Church has departed from the biblical faith and the historical teaching of the church uh, to offer refuge and help and to be able to uh, uh, help them uh, form their own uh, branches of Anglicanism in a way that's godly, uh, biblical, and uh, will in- empower folks to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just a quick summary. And, and they're mm. probably... Um, of the 70 million, depends on which numbers you use for Anglicanism, but say there's 70 million Anglicans, um, about 50 million are represented through the GAFCON movement. It's an incredible thing. Um, when I was at the most recent uh, GAFCON meeting in Jerusalem, you were there, of course. Um, I, I, I came away transformed by God from that meeting. Uh, I came away with such a renewed hope about the church of today and the church of tomorrow and uh, the racial mix of global Anglicanism and the dependence upon Christ and the scriptures. It was um, an incredible thing. We've had many GAFCON leaders as guests on this podcast, Living Through the Word, Peter Jensen from Australia, Benjamin Kwashi from Nigeria, Laurent Mbanda from Wanda. Uh, JBN from New Zealand. It truly is a global community. Um, what are some of the joys and the challenges of of offering leadership across such a beautiful yet diverse cult- diversity of cultures? Well, the joys is, is is just that the diversity of the way the Lord has worked in so many different cultures and societies around the world. Uh, most of which are so different from us here in North America. The challenges is just is just the same, uh, because people interpret things or hear things differently, or they're they're used to inter or interrelating differently, and and you have to work through all of that. Uh, this body of Christ is an incredible diverse group. Um, that I I found um, just personally again I I'm from the s- southern United States. And uh, we used to pride, or we still do, pride ourselves on quote Southern hospitality. But I have to say, uh, so, some of my African friends have just blown me away on what it means to be hospitable. Um, and so they've they the, the the global church has impacted us in a big way by teaching us uh, a lot of their DNA is part of who we are now, and um, and so that's beautiful. But it is the cultural piece is challenging because people see things, understand things, um, have been taught uh, differently than we here in the West. 
I've even found that Archbishop as um, a long-term immigrant now to the, the beautiful United States, that we're separated by a common language called English. The cultures are different, yet similar. Uh, and it's so easy for someone to misinterpret something that's said through a different cultural lens uh, when, when, when you can't grasp that cultural situation yourself. But in fact, the good news is, again, back to the gospel, that Christ supersedes all that, doesn't he? He's greater than the cultures. And yes. the gospel message is the same for the Kiwi and the American and the Nigerian and the Brit and the Scotsman and the Scandinavian. It's an incredible thing. Absolutely. And, and one of the great things I'm loving about the Anglican Church in North America is because we've had so many people from all over the world move here, uh, many of those are Anglicans, they've gotten involved in our churches. Um, many have not gotten involved, and that creates an incredible mission field for us. But those who have, have enriched us and deepened us, and it's just been wonderful. I've got one question about our nation, and then I've got some quick-fire questions to give you, Archbishop, uh, as we conclude. Um, as the secular forces chip away at our nation's Judeo-Christian roots, uh, religious freedom is increasingly threatened. And I know this is very important to you. Uh, how, how does the church prepare for what might be ahead as religious freedom continues to be squeezed? And, and do you believe that we might be headed for a time, even here in the United States, when Christians might not be able to meet as freely and as publicly as we do today? You've asked a lot there. Uh, <laughs> um, let me say that, first of all, I'm hearing some of my my uh, brothers throw out this term Christian nationalism in derogatory terms. And I don't know exactly what some of these folks mean when they use that term. I haven't really studied um, all the different uses of it. But if they are saying that our country uh, was not founded on Judeo-Christian principles and ethics, um, they're absolutely wrong. It was so much a part of the culture. I mean, all you have to do is go to Washington, D.C., go look at the monuments, um, and you will see um, references to God, scriptures quoted, I mean, again and again and again. Even um, one of my favorite monuments that's there now is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, here was a pastor who out of his spiritual uh, and biblical understandings uh, fought for, for civil rights and, and, um, and the rights of black people in our country and, and did tremendous things. But all that being said, uh, our rights, uh, well, first of all, the history is being eliminated. Uh, people are being told uh, that none of that existed. Um, and so that's, that's the first problem. Secondly, um, those of us who hold to a lot of these biblical positions, especially regarding uh, morality and theology, um, are now being uh, sometimes actually literally being canceled, to use the, uh, the popular term right now, um, taking off social media. Um, and it's just a matter of time if this pattern continues to where we who hold to the teaching of the Bible are going to be under serious attack. We won't be able to function in the culture. We won't be able to uh, do many of the things that we've taken for granted. Um, and so uh, as Christians, I think we need to be praying. I think we need to continue to speak the truth um, and not buy into lies. Uh, we can't be quiet when lies are proclaimed around us. We need to lovingly 
speak the truth, as the Apostle Paul said, speak the truth in love. Um, and then realize that um, a lot of people are not going to accept it, and we're going to we're going to pay the price for that. Sadly, um, did I answer what you asked? I, I'm sorry, there was so much there. You did, Archbishop, and of course, this reminds us again to to uphold the things that are important: the faith once for all entrusted to the exactly. saints. Those things you talked about at the beginning: the gospel, that God loves us, that Jesus died for us. Uh, I remember as a much younger Christian. Um, reading the writings of Corrie Ten Boon, who was imprisoned um, as a result of sheltering Jewish people with her family during the days of the Second World War. After after she was released, she preached the gospel and she taught people to prepare for suffering. She said, memorize the scriptures, because if your Bibles are taken away, you'll better memorize the word of God, bring it to mind, and it will be a consolation to you uh, at that time. Yeah, I, w- I would absolutely um, affirm what she said. I think that's very appropriate for us today. I mean, actually, biblical illiteracy in our church, in all the churches in America, are, are it's, it's really shameful. Uh, so, so learn the scriptures. But secondly, make sure you're a part of a small faith group, uh, whether in your church or a part of your church, uh, a small faith community that can meet regardless of what um, society uh, puts on you. Okay, Archbishop Foley Beach, quick fire questions to conclude. Christian worship song that helps you worship the living God. Uh, wow. Um, how about, um, Lord, uh, you are more precious. I don't know the name of it. Lord, you're more mm. precious than silver. Lord, you're more precious than gold. And God, uh, that, isn't it a beautiful song? Yeah. Yeah. Um, historical figures that have influenced you the most? Oh, wow. Um Let's see. Biblically, I would say Joseph and David. Um, and then in this country, probably George Washington. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, Lincoln and, and Martin Luther King Jr. would probably be some that come right off the top of my head. What's the most dangerous trait in a Christian's character? Uh, so uh, this might surprise you, uh, self-sufficiency, mm-hmm. um, try living life as if I don't need God around. In other words, today, today, as you know, this day, where have I had to totally depend on God or have I been doing all this in my own strength? Um, self-sufficiency. I'm not talking about confidence and, and assurance and those, but, but, but that dependent lack of depending on God. If you could sit down with the president of the United States, any president, let's say you had 30 seconds with them, what would you say to them? Um, I would encourage them to stay on their knees, um, that their prayer life, uh, at least, uh, you know, all the recent presidents we've had claim they are people of faith. Um, You know, that could be argued, but that they would be on their knees uh, seeking God for wisdom and direction as they Uh, lead our country. Two more, Archbishop. This next one is super important. Australians or New Zealanders? Who has the better accent? Now, Bishop, you're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you a quick story. I was in a restaurant just a few weeks ago, 
And um, the, the waitress, the server, she was uh, from a different country. And so I asked her, I said, so where's your accent from? And she looked at me with a straight face and said, what accent? <laughs> <laughs> and and um, and I, 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 she, 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 she silenced me. It was really funny. And then I started thinking. You know, we actually subtly insult. I mean, I've always done that in a way to, because I'm curious and I want to know where people are from, but it's actually so, uh, somewhat of a put down. I didn't realize it. So I'm going to uh, punt on your question. Next, <laughs> the <laughs> consummate one. politician, Archbishop. The final question uh, Greatest hope for today's first graders? What's the greatest hope for today's first graders? With God, well, in, in this country, with God, you can do anything. The sky is the limit. Actually, beyond the sky is the limit. My guest today has been Archbishop Foley Beach. Archbishop, it's just been such a privilege to have you on this episode of Living for the, Through the Word. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, for telling us about Jesus, for pointing us to the cross, for engaging us in the Bible, for reminding us about the beautiful thing called the church. Uh, and just as you said about the first graders, to reach beyond ourselves to God, where there is there is no limit. Amen. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me, Bishop Julian. Would, would you pray for us as we conclude? Sure. Father, you are so good to us, and we love you, and we praise you. Thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus. And I pray for each person here where, that are, that's listening to this podcast, no matter where they are in their life, that you would uh, speak to them this day, that you would guide them. If someone doesn't know you, that they would um, be willing to bend the knee of their heart and invite you in so that they might have that personal dynamic relationship with you. Uh, we commit this to you in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. At the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, we are committed to equipping and edifying your walk in Christ. To find out more about the ongoing ministry of the diocese and its congregations, including information about our upcoming in-person 2021 Missions Conference and Synod, where we will be engaging and considering embodied hope, visit us online at adlw.org. And as always, share this podcast with your friends and subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace.